0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. One of the odd things, maybe a better way to think about it, is one of the difficult things about being a Christian, whether belief is new to you or whether you've been a long-time believer, is that for all of us as Christians, we, we know what it is that we believe, and, and we're excited about what it is that we believe. And every once in a while, you talk to someone, and they kind of take a shot uh, some part of your faith or some part of what it is that you believe and, and what makes that really hard is when that person really inter- isn't trying to open up a conversation they're not asking you a question necessarily it's more like this statement of like oh I forgot you, you're that religious person aren't you I, I forgot you're, you're that you're that church person oh I forgot you're, you're that you're that bible guy aren't you a- and they just kind of take this passing comment at you or your faith and then they just kind of move on and you don't you're like, well, wait, wait a minute, give me, give me a chance to respond. But, but you don't get the chance to respond. It's just like, oh, no, you're, you're, you're that Bible guy, aren't you? You know, Frank? No, Frank's not going to be there. Frank, you're going to be in church praying all weekend, aren't you? Because you're that religious person. So, so no, you, you, you wouldn't be there. And, and it's just like, well, how, how do you respond to that? Because they just, they just took, like, this shot that your entire faith experience, and you, you feel like you're about this big. And, and what do you say? I mean, how, how do you respond to that? Or, or, or someone brings up church, and, and, and immediately they say, well, yeah, let me tell you, I used to go to church, and they tell you all about their bad church experience, and before you can say anything about your good church experience, again, the just, conversation just kind of moves on, and you're, you're kind of left awkwardly hanging there, and, and, and what do you do in a situation like that? I mean, I, you don't ever know how to respond. I, I don't ever know how to respond. And perhaps the most awkward dynamic in a situation like that is when this has to do with family, right? I mean, because, because your father-in-law has never accepted the fact that, that you're the reason why his daughter is in church every single Sunday with his grandkids. And every time now when you go over to his house for a barbecue or for a picnic or for celebrating somebody's birthday, you know, he's got these three standard comments that he kind of runs through one after the other after the other about your faith, about what it is that you, what it is that you believe. And again, he's not trying to ask a question. He's not trying to open up a conversation. It's just more like, you know, we're not going to talk about this. And here's how I want to make sure you know that we're not going to talk about this. Because if he was asking a question, then you could say, well, here's a book you could read. Or, or here's a, a website that you could, you could go to and you could actually get those questions answered. But again, that's, that's not what's happening. So, so what do you say? What do you say? Then you get in the car to go home and you're thinking about it. And you're like, oh, I know exactly what I should have said. And you come up with this fantastic response. You kind of rehearse this whole thing in your mind and you commit it to memory. And then the next time you're in that situation, you cannot for the life of you remember that thing that you swore and you promised to yourself that you would remember to say the next time that they said that to you. So how do you respond to that? What do you say when that kind of a situation? And what's interesting and maybe you've noticed this maybe you've noticed this as as willing and as easy as it is for people to take shots at, at us as christians as easy as it is to take a shot at the church to take a shot at, at faith in general or or at faith you know heaven or hell or anything having to do with our faith in general very very rarely very rarely will people actually say anything negative about jesus isn't that interesting So together, over the course of the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to actually talk and we're going to give to you some answers. We're going to give to you some anchor points to, to talk about and to answer some of those common questions, some of those common misconceptions, some of those things that people don't necessarily understand, maybe that we don't understand about what it means to believe and to be a follower of Jesus, So that, not so you can answer every single question that somebody might possibly throw your way, but instead so that when you are talking to someone, When you are actually having a real conversation with someone who genuinely wants to know why and what it is that you believe, you have something that you can say to them that's simple. You have something that you can say to them that's easy to remember, something that most importantly keeps the conversation going, that keeps the doors open for future conversation. Now, to get some help with this, we're going to actually listen to and, and, and read and hear from an individual... Who was a businessman he was an entrepreneur actually and and, and he he walked away from his business and became an evangelist. In fact, he inherited his business from his father, and as a married man, he actually walked away from the family business. He even managed to convince his brother to do the very same thing, and then these two guys, they spend the next several years of their lives, they they spent their lives actually traveling around telling other people about Jesus. And it was during those travels that, that he actually lost his faith, if you can believe that. This guy lost his faith in Jesus. He began to question everything that he thought he knew about who Jesus Was. And it was in the midst of that that something actually happened that restored his faith. In fact, it gave it brought his faith back bigger and stronger than it had ever been before. And he wrote about all these things, all these events and all these experiences. And he wrote it all down for us. And his name is Peter. And we're going to spend some time looking at what Peter has to say to us because he has a lot to say to us about how to actually talk to other people about what it is that we believe and how to answer maybe some difficult questions that that oftentimes we're uncomfortable trying to answer on our own. So I want you to take out your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're using one of those Bibles in the seat back in front of you, again, you can find it on page 1890. And as Peter's having this discussion... He kind of asks the people that he's talking to, he begins by by throwing out a rhetorical question for them. It's a great question. It's a good question for us. And he asks this question in verse 13, and he says this. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? He says, think about that for a moment. Who is actually going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer, Peter says, for what is right, you are blessed. And then listen to this next statement that he makes. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, Peter, he lives in a day in an age where it's very, very dangerous to be a Christian. And again, Peter ends up dying for his faith. He ends up dying for what it is that he says that he believes in. Now, the truth is, us in our day, in our age, in our world here, you and I, we really don't suffer very much for our faith, do we? I mean, you might lose a date. You know, you may be denied a job interview. So somebody may even say to you, hey, listen, I'm not going to marry you if you're really serious about this whole Christianity, church, Bible, and Jesus thing because I'm just not interested in any of that. So, So there is some suffering that you and I, that we actually do experience for our faith. But what you may not know is that in our world today, Right now, there is more persecution of Christians in our world today than at any other time in recent history. In fact, today, there are Christians who will die for their faith. Today, there are churches that will be blown up simply because they are Christian churches. In fact, in 2016, one Christian was killed every six minutes because of their faith. More than 90,000 people Just last year were killed because of their Christian faith. So being a Christian, even in our world today, can be a very, very dangerous thing depending on where it is that you live. But see, in Peter's day, in his his age, it was an even more dangerous thing And in in the first century, the message of Christianity, it wasn't, okay, you've got a God and we've got a God and our God's better than your God. That was not the message of Christianity in the first century. It wasn't even that you have a religion and we have a religion and we think our religion is better than your religion. That's not what the message of Christianity was. That's not what made Christianity so dangerous. In fact, what made Christianity so dangerous was this. We have a God and you, you have gods, plural, but here's the thing about your gods, your gods aren't real. Your gods they don't even exist. Now, that wasn't just a politi- that wasn't just a religious idea in peter's day see living in the roman empire that was actually a very dangerous idea that was a political idea it was a political statement because they were living under an emperor who thought he was divine he considered himself to be a god and so to have this position and hold this position that these gods the romans worship that they're not real and that they don't exist that that was a very very dangerous position to hold in fact it was a treasonous position to hold And so as you can imagine, that was a very difficult sell for anybody who was actually living in the Roman Empire. And so Peter knows when he says to these people, listen, do not be afraid when you suffer. Don't fear when you suffer. Don't be frightened. Peter knows the only way that's going to happen for these people that he's talking to is if he can actually give them something tangible. If he can give them something that they can actually hold on to. And so he says to them in verse 15, he says, But in your hearts... Set apart Christ as Lord. In other words, he says to them, Remind yourself that Caesar is not your Lord. Remind yourself that your career is not your Lord. Remind yourself that that he is not, that, that she is not, that they are not your Lord, Peter would say. It isn't about steps. Peter tells us. He says, remind yourself once and for all that there can only be one Lord in your life. And for those of us who do call ourselves Christians, for those of us who do call ourselves followers of Jesus, there can only be one Lord in our life. And Peter says, that is Jesus. That is only Jesus. And then Peter doesn't actually stop there. In the original text, this is just one continuous thought. There's no punctuation. He says, But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer, or more more literally, a defense, to everyone who asks you to give the reason or the explanation for the hope that you personally have. Now this is an incredibly important this is an incredibly significant statement that that statement there is very very important for all of us and and the significance of that statement I think is best understood if we if we kind of grasp what that statement is not saying to us and this is helpful for me so I think it's going to be helpful for you also see that statement is not telling you that you need to be able to give a a convincing summary as to your Christian worldview in just a couple of moments. That's not what that statement is saying. That statement is not saying to you that you have to be able to defend and explain everything that takes place or happens within the cover of, of this book. Which is a really good thing, because if you haven't read this book, there's a lot of difficult stuff in here, isn't there? That statement isn't saying to you that you have to be able to defend what it is that your church does. It's not telling you that you have to be able to explain why it is that other uh, Christians behave badly. It's not even saying to be ready to explain the hypocrisy that's been demonstrated by the Christian church throughout the last 2,000 years of its existence. That statement is not saying any of that. Instead, what Peter is telling all of us is that each of us, what we need to be ready to do, what we need to be able to do, is to simply be able to give an answer or to be able to give a defense, an explanation for the hope that we personally have. In other words, Peter says, listen, if you haven't thought about it this way, you need a really good one-liner. You you need a really good simple statement that succinctly encapsulates the answer to the question of why. Why? Why am I personally a follower of Jesus? Because, see, the truth is this. All those other questions, those are great questions. They're tough questions. But there are answers to all those questions. There have been books and books and books, stacks of books, written about answering every single one of those questions. And if someone really does have a difficult question that they're looking for an answer to, there are answers to those questions. But what you and I are called to do, Peter says, isn't to be able to answer every single question that somebody might ask of us. Instead, what we're called to do is just to simply be able to answer that one question why am i why am i a follower of jesus see that's what it means to defend your hope that's what it means to defend your faith or your confidence in christ now if you were to ask peter If you were to ask Peter to actually defend his hope, if you were to ask Peter why it is, Peter, that that you have placed your hope or your faith in Christ, Peter would have actually given to you a, a single word answer. It would be that word up on the screen right there. resurrection. If you're say to Peter, okay, Peter, why is it that, that, that you believe in Jesus? Why is your hope in Jesus? Peter would say, you know what, that's actually a very easy question for me to answer. Because, see, when you watch somebody die, and then you have breakfast with them three days, four days later on the beach, that's kind of where you anchor your hope. Peter, why is it that you have faith in Jesus? Well, when you see somebody die, when you watch them get buried, and then you have breakfast later on the beach with them, that is the thing, that is the event that you anchor your hope in. See, Peter says, my hope is anchored in a very, very specific event that took place. It's anchored in the resurrection. And yeah, there's a whole lot of things I don't understand There's a lot of questions that I probably can't answer, but I can answer this one. I can tell you why I believe in Jesus. That's that's why I follow Jesus, Peter would say. It's because of the resurrection. Now, if you actually take the time and you read through the rest of Peter's letter, starting in chapter 1, it becomes really evident really quickly that this is the place where Peter personally ties his hope in Jesus because he says this in verse 3 of of chapter 1. He says, it's in his great mercy, that's God the Father, That he has given to us new birth into a living hope, that's our key word, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter, Peter, why is it that you have placed your future, Peter, why is it that you have staked your eternity, why is it that you've placed all this hope into this person of Jesus? Well, it's because he rose from the dead, Peter would say. He goes on and says this in verse 21. It's through him, that's Jesus, that you believe in God, who raised him, again, that's Jesus, from the dead, and glorified him so your faith and hope, they are in God. Peter, Peter, why is it that you have so much hope? Peter, why is it that in the face of persecution, why is it that in the face of suffering, why is it that in the face of all these things that are happening to you that you don't understand, that you don't like, and that you can't explain, why is it, Peter, that you have hope? I have hope, Peter would say, because Jesus rose from the dead. See, that's Peter's one-liner. And, and, and then Peter goes on from there, and he says this. He says this. this is, again, this is really important. In verse 15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, do this with gentleness. And with respect. See, in other words, Peter is reminding us here okay, listen, this isn't about winning an argument. That's not the goal in having this answer. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal isn't about saying we are better than you are, our religion's better than your religion, our God's better than your God. The goal here is not to shame anybody, the goal is never to put somebody down, Peter would say. That's not what this is about. This is about gentleness and respect. Now, this is just my opinion, and so you might disagree with me, but I would tell you, I think that this right here, this particular issue has a lot to do with why it is that people feel the way that they feel about the Christian church in general, and oftentimes Christians specifically in our world today. And I think this is also why why it is that we experience what we are experiencing in many ways, because we haven't always done the best job dealing with these three ideas right here up on the screen. Majority, authority, and credibility. And see, this isn't just a a religious thing. In fact, this is a a human nature thing. But it kind of goes like this. Whenever any person or whenever any group of people, whenever any culture of people... Whenever they feel as though they are in the majority, there's this natural tendency, right or wrong, for them to speak or to claim authority for themselves. And then how it is that they use that authority? That ends up determining their credibility in the future in the eyes of the culture that they are a part of. And again, this isn't just a religious thing, is it? I mean, this applies to our families. This applies to our companies. I mean, oh my goodness, this applies to our government, to our politics. We see this on display. We're seeing this on display every single day, it feels like. And unfortunately, this also applies to the church, doesn't it? In fact, for some of you that may be here this morning, part of the reason why you, you may not identify yourself as a Christian or think of yourself as a Christian or, or maybe why it's hard for you to say that I am a Christian, it may actually have to do with this issue that I'm talking about right now. See, that is why Peter is very, very careful to remind us, for those of us who do call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, how incredibly important this is, how significant it is. He's reminding us that, listen, authority, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's been given to Jesus, not to us. And so he tells us this is not about winning arguments. This is never about shaming anybody. Instead, this is, like, this is about being gentle like our Savior is gentle. This is about being respectful. Because after all, anybody who believes anything, I mean, they believe that for a good reason, right? I mean, no, nobody is wrong on purpose, are they? And see, if I was raised the way that you were raised or if I experienced the things in life that you experienced, then perhaps I would believe what you would believe. And so Peter reminds us Gentleness and respect. There's never a reason to be disrespectful. In fact, he continues with that idea, and he goes on in verse 16, and he says this, keeping a clear conscience. In other words, he says, don't do anything. Do not do anything that would cause you to have guilt in the eyes of the people who you are actually trying to live out your faith in Jesus in front of. See, Peter's reminding us that that how we live personally, individually, that's just as important as he would say as the words that we would use to answer that question. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, again, Peter's explaining something that probably every one of us, I I know for me, all of us have experienced this in some way before in our lives. He's saying this, understand this, there are going to be people that you are going to meet and they are not going to believe what you believe. And they're going to look for a reason not to like you. And the reason they're going to look for something to not like you about, it's because your behavior is convicting to them. Peter says, understand this. I mean, this is something that Autumn and I, that we very intentionally taught our boys as they were growing up. We would say this to them over and over and over again. Listen, when people are critical of you because you're a Christian, when people are critical of you because of your morality, when people are critical of you because there are things that you will not do, the reason they're critical of you isn't because they think you're wrong. The reason they're critical of you is because they know they're wrong. And see, let's be honest. Because every single one of us, me included, we have been in this situation before, haven't we, where we were doing something wrong and somebody else near us or around us, they, they chose to do the right thing while we chose to be the wrong, do the wrong thing. And we didn't come up to them and say, oh, I have so much respect for you right now because you're doing the right thing, did we? No, what did we do? We, cri- we criticized them. We mocked them. We looked for ways to cut them down or shame them. Why? Because what they were doing, the fact that they were doing the right thing, it highlighted the fact that we were actually doing the wrong thing. And so Peter says, look, understand. When you live out your Christian values, you've got to know you're going to get pushback. But please, he would say, please don't do anything to give anyone a factual reason to be critical of you. And so what's Peter saying to us so far in this text? He's telling us that, okay, we need to have a, an answer. We need to be able to give an answer or a response. But that response, it, it doesn't, shouldn't try to coerce people. That's not our job. Instead, our job is to simply have a response that, that summarizes that question, that answer. Why is it that we... Why is it that I, why is it that you personally, why do we follow Jesus? And then to actually live out that answer in such a way where people see you and they actually say to themselves, okay, I may not believe what she believes, but I can't deny the fact that she's a good person. I, I may not believe like he does, but there is no denying the fact that he is a good man. See, Peter is reminding us of something, I think, that every single one of us that we know, that that behavior matters, that the words that we say and the words that we post, those words matter, that our behavior is at least as important as what it is that we say we believe. Because again, I think all of us know that this is true, but I'll summarize it this way. Listen, selfless, generous, compassionate living, you cannot dismiss that, can you? Because when you bump into someone who is, or a bunch of someone who are actually selfless, and, and you interact with them, I mean, you get back in your car afterwards and you say to yourself, well, I may not believe everything they believe, but that was incredible, wasn't it? Or when you bump into somebody who is actually over the top generous or compassionate, I mean, there is no way that you can refute that. And see, that is what Peter is reminding us of. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 17. He says, It is better if it's God's will to suffer, to suffer for doing good rather than to suffer for doing evil. In other words, Peter says, okay, you kind of need to back up a second here, and I want you to think about this because Peter says, listen, you're going to suffer in this world. You are. There's no avoiding it, Peter would say. Jesus promised it. It's going to happen. In this world, Peter would tell you, you are not going to avoid suffering. So if that is the case, why not suffer for doing the right thing as opposed to doing the wrong thing? Why not lose a job because you told the truth as opposed to losing a job because you got caught telling a lie? Why not suffer in your relationships for doing the right thing in your relationships rather than suffer in your relationships for doing the wrong thing? Verse 18, for Christ died. In other words, Jesus also suffered, Peter would say. So when you're experiencing suffering, you're just being like your Savior, Jesus is telling us. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God, In other words, Jesus' suffering accomplished something absolutely tremendous. Jesus' suffering, it accomplished your salvation and mine, Peter would say. So as a follower of Jesus, you've you got to be ready to have an answer and be ready, Peter would say, because that answer may cost you, but if it does, that's okay because that answer, that answer costs Jesus something as well. So how would you answer the question? How would you answer the question? That brings us back to the very beginning of where we started today. How would you personally answer the question, why is your hope? Why is my hope in Jesus? See, that's the question that every single one of us that we need to be able to answer personally and for ourselves. Why is your hope actually anchored in this Jewish carpenter? Now, I'm going to answer that question for you, but before I do, I want to tell you this. I think that your answer to that question, however you would express it, I think your answer and my answer to that question, to some extent, needs to be the same as Peter's answer to that question. Because after all, as the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised then our preaching, my preaching at you, and our faith, your faith and my faith, if Christ has not been raised, then it's all useless, Paul would say. Because, see, the answer to your question, whether you realize it or not, whether you think about it or not this way, the reason you are a Christian is because of the resurrection. And see, if you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, no, it's not. The reason I'm a Christian is because my life was falling apart and and I asked Jesus to come into my life and I asked him to come into my heart and he changed me. Absolutely he did. But the reason he changed you is because he is alive and because he is risen from the dead. And so how do you answer the question? See, for me, for me, my answer is simply this. See, I, I believe... I believe that Jesus died for my sin. And to prove that he did, God actually raised him from the dead. Now, you may like my answer or you might not, and that's great. You, you should figure out how to say your answer in your own words. But I think however it is that you express it, your answer somehow has to include the resurrection because, again, that's where the anchor of our hope is found. And listen, if you're sitting here today and, and, and you're one of those people and you've always felt like, I don't have this great testimony story. You know, all these other people, they've got, you know, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and all the planets you know, came together at the right time, and they became a Christian. And if you don't have a story like that, See, again, this should help you because regardless of whatever your past is or your story is, this is the most important part of your story. This is the part that answers the question, why? Why am I personally a follower of Jesus? Because for me, I mean, just for me, because I believe that Jesus actually died to pay for my sin and to prove that he did, God raised him from the dead. And again, as Peter says, however you answer that question for yourself, however you would put together those words, that's your homework for this week. So to figure out how would you, in your own words, how would you answer that question? Why am I personally a follower of Jesus? But however you answer it, Peter reminds us remember, be gentle and respectful. Because see, when that happens, that's what allows the person that we're talking to to feel like they could actually ask us the next question which is how I mean h- how 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 do you know how do you know that's true and that's where we're going to pick it up together next week let me pray for you heavenly father for all of us here Father, I'm so thankful. We are so thankful that we actually live in a place, that we live in a time where we have the freedom to talk about what it is that we believe and most importantly to talk about openly what it is that we know that Jesus has done for each one of us. And Father, very, very few of us here today, although I think there are some who can actually imagine, very few of us can imagine what it would feel like to be fearful of being arrested, to be fearful of being murdered, and yet to face the temptation of knowing that all of it could just be avoided by simply denying or betraying our faith, our faith in you, our faith in your Son. And so, Father, I ask and we ask for all of us that you would forgive us for those times that I personally, that we personally, that we're embarrassed, that we're intimidated that we're too insecure to speak openly about the faith that we have in your Son, who is our Savior. Father, forgive us those times for those times in our own lives, in each of our lives, where our words and our behaviors haven't really properly reflected what and who we say that we believe in. And Father, my prayer for us as a church for us as a group of people that over the course of the next four weeks that we're together, that you would give to all of us, both individually and corporately, that you would give to us a a new boldness, a boldness that is fresh and new and yet at the same time gentle and respectful. Because, Father, that is who our Savior is. That's who Jesus is. The one who paid for our sins And as proof of that, you raised him from the dead. That's who we worship. That's who our hope is anchored in. that's the event, the resurrection, that's at the foundation of our hope. And so, Father, we pray that you'd give to us the words, our own words, to express that truth and to share that hope with someone else in our life. All this we pray in Jesus' name.